It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I have only five words for you from my cold, dead hands. It's time for Gun Radio Utah. No apologies. A show dedicated to preserving and protecting your constitutional right to bear arms for your security and sport. Here's your host, well-known gun rights advocate and chairman of the Utah Shooting Sports Council, Clark Opposian. Hello. So glad to be here today. This is actually not Clark. This is Representative Carrie Ann Lisenby, and I represent District 14 in Utah. And I'm excited to be with you today to talk about all things gun and guns in Utah. Please feel free to call in anytime during the radio show. I'd love to chat with you. We do have a guest on First Thing uh, today, and that's Representative Jordan Tusher. And he's here to talk about his bill, HB 329. Hi, Jordan. Hey, Representative Lisenby. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Will you tell us about your bill, HB 329, please? Yeah, absolutely. So HB 329, um, Weapon Possession Penalty Amendment, um, essentially is a bill that carves out certain types of medication um, that currently, uh, when you're under the influence of or or taking, you're not able to possess a weapon. So um, just a little bit of a, a backstory to it. I had a constituent reach out who said that he had a pretty mild form of ADHD and uh, was reading through the code, making sure everything was okay, started, you know, went to a doctor, got prescribed for some medication, and realized in the code that it says that if someone is taking certain types of controlled substance, including the medication that he was taking, that that would prohibit him from carrying a dangerous weapon. And so he had reached out to me to say, hey, for, for people in my situation where they're taking medication that's lawfully prescribed by their doctor, um, we shouldn't have to give up our Second Amendment rights. Is there a way that you can take a look at that? And that's what uh, House Bill 329 is. Jordan, I love this bill. And and it makes so much sense, really, if you think about it. These people actually function better on their medication, and why shouldn't they be able to exercise their fundamental constitutional rights while on medication that actually helps them function better? Exactly. We don't want people that are afraid they're not going to be able to use their Second Amendment rights, and so they're not taking care of a condition that they have, and vice versa. Though, like you said, those that are actually taking it and doing what their doctors prescribe, um, they're in a better state than they would be without the medication, and so we should allow them to use their, their firearms as, as they see fit. Jordan, have other states done things like this? You know, it's a good question. I, I don't know exactly where the rest of the country is on this. I know that as we looked at the federal um, statutes around guns, they actually carve out any type of medication that's being lawfully prescribed by a doctor. And so for whatever reason, Utah's laws seem to be a little more restrictive than what we see on the federal level. And that's something that I'd like to look at in the interim to see what other, you know, this, this bill is pretty specific to ADHD medication. We already have carve-outs in, in, in the code right now for using cannabis, but I, I bet there's a whole host of medications that probably should be carved out, 
And, and my guess is there's a lot of people out there that are, are lawfully taking those medications and just don't know that it's, it's against the law to then uh, carry a firearm. Well, we'd love to study that in judiciary. If you make that a judiciary interim study request, um, I think that would be amazing. Or did you have another committee in mind? No, I think, I think judiciary could work just fine. Um, it was great to have that bill through your committee um, just to kind of give everyone a, a heads up of where it is in the process. It, it passed the, the House Judiciary Committee um, 8 to 0 and went to the House floor where it passed 71 to 0. And so now we're waiting um, a Senate committee hearing. It will be uh, next week in the Senate Judiciary, Law Enforcement, and Criminal Justice Committee. Wonderful. You've done a great job on that bill, Jordan. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about with that bill? No, I'm just uh, I'm grateful to be able to to help out a constituent of mine that's kind of in that situation, and then you know just uh, glad to be a part of the team. I know you've done such great work uh, in the past and in, in protecting people's Second Amendment rights, and I, I'm happy to help wherever I can. Well, you do great work, Jordan. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Carrie Ann. Yep. Have a great Saturday. All right. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about some other bills that have been making their way through the session, and, and we'll do that interspersed here throughout the show. And again, please feel free to call in 888-570-8010 if you'd like to ask a question or make a comment on the show today. So there was a bill that Brian King was running, and it, and again, tried to uh, criminalize private sales in Utah through something that, that the left likes to call universal background checks. And so that bill has been defeated. It is dead. And I, I've received lots of communication about that bill from my constituents concerned about it and the provisions that it enacts. And and so I'm glad to report to the, the gun-friendly community in Utah that that bill is dead. And again, and I think it'll probably be back next year. It seems to be run every year. But uh, for now, that bill is dead. There's another bill that we've been talking about in in the legislature, and that's SB 115, Corey Malloy's preemption bill. And that we decided early on was going to be our uh, priority this session. And so as we um, have run that through both House and Senate committees and House and Senate floor times, it is now on the concurrence calendar in the Senate. And so we are waiting, actually, for them to concur with the changes we made in the House and then that will also be law. And what that does is it basically just maintains the current law in Utah, but also provides for some teeth, some enforcement, as it includes uh, the ability of, of someone to sue and, and also retain attorney's fees. And so it's a really important bill. I'm grateful that we have it. Clark and and uh, Bill have been actively engaged in the conversation and and as that bill has made it through the process. There's not a lot of other gun bills we talked about. I had a, a file open that was a sanctuary state gun bill, and that just brought the Prince language from Montana into Utah. However, that bill was not going to make it through the process this year, and so I've left it sitting out there, but I will actually um, – refile next year to run that bill, and hopefully that can be our priority next year as we move forward. Uh, next segment, we'll have a new guest on. His name is Richard Martin, 
and he has served multiple tours of duty overseas, is a gun expert, and has a lot of great perspective on gun laws because he actually helped to enforce uh, gun regulations from the Army perspective overseas. And so excited to have him on. And Okay, and we'll, we're about to wrap it up and go to our first break. So make sure you write down the number, 888-570-8010, to call in and chat with me today. Be happy to hear from you. Thanks. Protecting and preserving your constitutional right to bear arms. It's Gun Radio Utah. Here's your host, Clark Capotion. All right. Welcome back to Gun Radio Utah. We're excited to have you here today. Again, please feel free to call in and chat with us, 888-570-8010. We have a guest on for this portion of the show, and his name is Richard Martin. Richard, are you there? Richard isn't with us yet. We'll get him in a few minutes. And what Richard and I will be talking about is the massive uptick that we've seen over the last couple of years in gun sales, not only in Utah, but across the United States. And how that interplays with Second Amendment rights and with it's interesting to if we look at the demographics of the people who are purchasing guns and it's a lot of women, it's a lot of minorities. And as we've watched the riots that have happened across the United States, I think uh, that's probably one of the potential drivers of the increase in gun sales. And I think there are other uh, drivers also. And I hope to talk with Richard about that as we talk about his experience in the military and overseas and working with uh, individuals who um, who possess firearms illegally sometimes and and the interplay that he had with different rights and and different responsibilities as he served in the military around the uh, around the world uh, as we wait for Richard happy to take your calls um, I don't, oh, we can't get Richard on the air. That's too bad. Well, um, we can also talk about other things that are happening related to guns in the Utah legislature. It's been, it's been a pretty quiet year on the Hill as it relates to, to weapons. We've had um, just a few policies that we're still, I think, waiting to have uh, go live with bill files. I know that Representative Schneider up in... Um, up in Cache County has a bill file that deals with uh, banks and banks stances. Like uh, I think there's uh, Citicorp and Chase Manhattan, I think are the two bank banking corporations that have indicated in their internal policies that they are not willing to lend to gun manufacturers or, or anything related to gun manufacturing and, and how that actually uh, is it plays out in the marketplace. Like Massachusetts has moved or is in the process of moving Smith and West or Smith and Wesson is in the process of moving from Massachusetts to Tennessee. And we'd love to incentivize some of those gun companies that want to move from blue States to red States to come to Utah. And so his bill actually tries to disincentivize banks from punishing 
businesses just because they deal with guns and gun manufacture. Okay, I think we have on the air Richard Martin. Richard, are you there? I am. I'm here. Welcome to the show, Richard. It's great to talk to you. Likewise. Uh, will you tell us a little bit about your experience, and, and then we can get into some specific policy questions as we move forward. But I, I'd like you to kind of introduce yourself to the audience. Okay. I am um, 33 years of the Army. I was in um, three different wars. I was in um, Bosnia as a major before I was lieutenant colonel, and my primary role, ironically, was to try to help Bosnians um, try to convince them to bring in mines, grenades, and some of their weapons, and to try to give up the ones that were in excess of what they were legally available to have. And that was so, so there was a lot of propaganda, frankly, uh, between Serbs, Croats, and Bosnians, and they had already went through this genocide of sorts. So myself and about 5,000 other guys were trying to work the process of helping them with this. And ironically, what a small world it is, is my immediate commander was the current chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which is General Mark Milley. So it's a small world. Wow, that is. You had yeah. some tremendous experiences over there, didn't you, Richard? Um, had a few that at the time I didn't, I thought they were just mundane, but when you come back home, you realize, no, that's not the norm and people don't live like that. So, yeah, there's a few. Well, thank you for your service over there. As as we went through the pandemic and, and you and I were texting back and forth, you had some anecdotal experiences. You talked with individuals who were um, running gun stores or employees of gun stores where you were asking them, you know, it just to report kind of in a, a non-official way, what are, who are the people that are coming in and what are they buying and, and what are their reasons? Uh, would you like to speak to that? Sure. So what was, what I found is I, I, I'm statistics. I like statistics. I don't like calculus. So I would looking for statistical information to try to help understand what the voice of the customers were and what they were doing and what they were, who's, who was buying and who wasn't. And what I found is I went through, literally went from one store to the next, from the top of the Wasatch all the way down to Provo. And there's a, there's a common theme with what we saw being purchased. And it was um, especially as soon as the riots started occurring within the um, blue cities, if you will, the major cities, that people, especially minorities and women, were purchasing lots of handguns. And that's what that was the, a consistent theme. That particular group, not not not. Whereas before, it was typically the, if you will, the white male Republican, if you will. But um, but it was a lot of my, minorities and a lot of women. In fact, it was more women than any any other one group. And you can see that now manifesting itself. There's where there's uh, African Americans who have who started their own gun clubs. And other people who have, and even the, uh, if you will, the LGBTQ community, they started some of their own gun clubs per what happened in in Florida. In I think it was Orlando. Um, so oh, yeah. that's uh, yeah. That, but that that was a consistent trend um, of people who are making the purchases. That's that's so interesting to me, and I 
I agree that I think it's it plays out as we look at the statistics. Uh, the highest jump last year in gun sales occurred uh, in District of Columbia, 643.2% increase in gun sales. Um, that's staggering. And well, I thought, well, go ahead. The other thing that I thought was staggering, I apologize, the other thing I thought was really amazing, when you look at total gun sales that came out of Illinois, people, I mean, they just, they were, um, they're buying them in numbers that exceeded the vast majority of the states. And it got to a point, if I recall correctly, where they've had to, last few years, they've had to get district court judges or state judges involved because of the, the state of Illinois is not processing their FOA um, cards fast enough to allow people to be able to own a weapon. A FOA, for those who are on the line, is just is an acronym, but essentially they, you have to register a weapon in the state of Illinois, and that's... That's through that process, but the process was taking too long. So federal judges have jumped in and said, "You either fix it, or you're going to be, or it's finished." And so that's where they're at. That's great. So Richard, as we've talked in the past, and as we've seen bills that that would tend to lean toward registration of firearms and then um, uh, universal background checks, that type of bill, we've had conversations based on your experience serving in the military. Do you want to touch a little bit on what that was like as you were overseas and what you saw when when you were trying to confiscate weapons uh, in the name of the U.S. military? What, would, what was happening was the, the, the nation of Bosnia was a fledgling democracy because they went through that civil war losing like 300,000 people. And one of the thing, one of the uh, um, laws that they tried to create was the registration process of a weapon. Well, what you would find is that the people would willingly, if you will, they'd register a weapon. But I had, I had crazy things like people using registering nail guns, toys, weapons that had been made in, I kid you not, World War One. They would try to, they were completely um, incapable of working. They would, they would try to register the, um, the German, uh, the one of the most reliable German weapons of World War II, the Mauser machine gun. They were trying to register those things because they had run out of ammunition, so they couldn't. So those things were history. Um, but they would do anything except register the functional weapon. And if you and so instead they would hide that weapon. So register rather than register it, they would hide it, and they would hide it in the forest, in their home, in the desert, anywhere. Uh, but they would not, um, um, they wouldn't register. Because what had happened is previously, when they were, in, when the, when they were under the, the you, if you recall your history correctly, right after World War II, Tito takes charge as a dictator and, and creates a nation of Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia is made up of Croatians, Serbs, and Bosnians. Well, the civil war initiates and the three groups separate. But what he had done is twice they had uh, tried to do a confiscate or registration process, and then they followed up with a confiscation uh, process. Well, the people got wise of that, and they would just say, I'm not going to register my weapon anymore. And the, the other piece to this that's helpful is that rather than theoretically register a weapon, what was happening there in, the, in, the, in the Eastern Europe is that Bulgaria and Romania would, would produce a fair amount of AK-47s, which is the 
the main weapon used in much of the world outside of the United States for a semi-automatic rifle, partly because it's reliability, partly because it's cheaper to, much cheaper to produce. And so they, they would use the, the criminal element would then just bring those weapons and sell them to the local populace, and the people would theoretically, they would register some other weapon. Um, lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Wow. That's, yeah. that's really insightful as we look at government action, right? And we look at gun registration schemes throughout the world, Australia, New Zealand, and even in the United States. I mean, Chicago, for instance. Um, but Chicago has some of the worst gun crime in the country. And they blame it on neighboring states and individuals that go there. But honestly, I just it's astounding to me that the left does not see that law-abiding citizens should be able to defend themselves. That's a fundamental right going back to English common law, the, the right to defend oneself. And, and it's a right that's outlined in not only the United States Constitution, but in the Utah Constitution. And, and so it's just insightful to, to think about how gun registration schemes worked and, and what you saw firsthand uh, as you served. It was it, the part of the other thing that was of somewhat surprising at the moment to me was you can push that on people, but once they've seen you know the when they, the criminal element is out there among them, they're not going to cooperate. And then what also happens is you start finding that the local police will not enforce that that registration law. They'll kind of wink and you know I'm not going to deal with that, and they will. They'll blow it off. They won't even touch it. And um, or sometimes um, when things became even more difficult, the local populace would uh, just make the make the, they would like I said they would register something that really wasn't even a weapon or that wasn't the weapon that you know the functional weapon and ammunition was hidden somewhere else or they would uh, claim to have something when they really didn't have it and so the whole registration process doesn't work. In fact, I was looking at Bosnia's website probably about 
maybe half a year ago, and it is said they had in in a, in a nation of what 15 million people. I'm not. Don't quote me on that one, but they estimate they have at least over a million weapons that are not registered. Well, duh, you you know because because of what they went through, and you might also jump forward, look at what New Zealand has tried to pull with their um, trying to confiscate people's weapons. Which, uh, which element of the society said, we refuse to comply with what your, your new um, weapons uh, scheme for whatever it was? And it was a criminal element. They refused to comply. They did not give any of the AR-15s up. They kept them. And they still, to, the, to this day, it doesn't work. Exactly. Anyway. It yeah. only works to embolden criminals and to disarm law-abiding citizens. And, and that's what's so sad about it. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that are happening in the United States that we've seen states that have, have passed not only sanctuary bills, but uh, some states in, on the other side of the aisle have passed some red flag laws and some laws that really do diminish the rights of individuals to exercise their Second Amendment uh, Second Amendment rights. So as, as we've talked... Um, I know that we've talked a lot about uh, red flag laws and about um, some of the other onerous laws that are in the United States. What are your thoughts on red flag laws? I know that we've defeated them three times here in Utah, and it's we've seen like the, the case in Maryland. It was a few years ago, but the gentleman who was a, a veteran, he had some firearms in his house, his family called on him under the red flag provision and um, he didn't know what was happening. It was early, early in the morning. Law enforcement came to his door. Um, he, he wasn't sure what was happening and it ended up getting shot because he was trying to defend himself. And so um, what are your thoughts on those laws and, and that we don't ever, I think we don't ever want to see one of those in Utah. And I think we've talked about that in the past quite a bit. You know, I'll relate it to with an experience. One of the things that we, we did in, in Iraq is that we divided up Iraq literally um, into by neighborhoods, if you will. And we would have soldiers, platoons of soldiers, like 10 or 12 guys, sometimes down to three or four. And they would just walk their neighborhoods and talk to the people to try to give some sense of security for them. Well, one of the common problems that consistently was happening was similar to the red flag concept, is that you would have a, Sh a Shia uh, Arab living on one corner and a Sunni on the other corner and a Kurd on the other corner. And what they would do, they'd want to individually walk up to you or to your soldier and say, you know what, that neighbor over there, he has a bunch of weapons and he also has an IED and all this, and you need to go through his home and to uh, take, take away his weapons. Well, we realized this this game of blaming was getting with, without probable cause. That the idea of probable cause is not a concept that is clearly understood in the Arabic world by their culture. And so, but it's almost like a you're guilty until proven otherwise. And so that's what we found out to be happening is they would use the same concept as used in a red flag law, and we quickly realized that it was a bunch of. Um, that nine times out of ten, it was, it was a lie. Nine times out of ten, the, the, the neighbor truly wasn't a threat. He wasn't the source of the problem. The other individual just happened to hate him or dislike him 
or he was a different religion or whatever. So, of course, we're going to go after him. And and I, when I see red flag laws and I see the lack of, uh, prob, uh, uh, you know, the probable cause, and I think it's Fourth Amendment. Is that the amendment they were covered by? For um, yeah, or due process. Yeah, fourteenth yep. so, and 4th. you know, uh, right. Well, when the red flag law uh, doesn't consider, in my opinion, the fourth and the fourteenth, it doesn't. It's um, and it's um, and so you end up with this finger pointing of who's guilty and who's not guilty, and then making it more difficult for somebody to own a weapon, making it and putting almost telling. Uh, everyone else that hey he's guilty until proven innocent, and like the, the description of the individual that you mentioned. Yep, uh, exactly. Hey, we have to go for a break, but if you can hang on, we'll continue talking about that in the next segment. I I think there's more I'd like to say about it. So thanks, Richard, for being our guest, and we'll go to a break right now. For more information, make my day. Utah is talking guns. It's Gun Radio Utah. No apologies. Here's your host, Chairman of the Utah Shooting Sports Council, Clark Capotion. Hi, this is not Clark. This is Representative Carrie Ann Lizenby from District 14 in Utah, representing parts of Clearfield and Layton and most of Syracuse. Happy to be with you today. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to call in 888-570-8010. I'm here with my friend and constituent, Richard Martin. Richard served multiple tours of duty overseas. He's a great American patriot, and I'm happy to have him on today to talk about guns. Richard? Still here. Still here. Okay. Before the break, we were talking about red flag laws, and you t- you shared a, a story and experience with a gentleman, and, and there's a similar... Um, there's a similar story that actually was prior to the enacted red flag law that California passed, but they had similar laws that uh, they used. And, and it was an instance where a gentleman used not only a gun, but a knife and a car and killed the an equal amount of people with each. He killed three with a gun, three with, the, an, with knives, and three with his car. And the night before, his parents had called... He was living in a different city than his parents, and his parents had called law enforcement, said they were concerned about his state of mental health. The police went in. They checked on him. They said he seemed fine. They left, and the next day he killed nine people. And part of the the issue I have with some of the red flag, well, all the red flag laws that have been uh, enacted and also introduced in the United States is that they target one form of weapon. They target the gun, but they never target uh, knives or other dangerous weapons or or you know, cars and, and Sim Gill, I'll, I'll never forget, Sim Gill came up to me, Salt Lake DA, and, and asked me one time if I would run a a gun liability law. And I told him only if we included cars. And he said, well, that's not going to happen and walked away. And so um, I think it's really interesting, you know, that we that we have these conversations. And I knew that was going to be the case. I knew it was going to walk and that he wouldn't want to include cars in, in that policy. But anyway, um. I, th- I think we both agree on that. So in the past, we've also uh, introduced, but haven't got quite across the finish line, some legislation in Utah about school-based curriculum and class time that would satisfy the requirements for hunter safety and educating young people on safety with guns and also just how to use them and, and have respect for them. Uh, would you like to talk a little bit about your initial experience when you were very young with guns? 
Well, I, you know, I've already, I've, I've seen, was there a particular experience we're talking about or, or that I'm not remembering at the moment? No, nothing particular, not? just general. Oh, oh, oh. Well, it just, uh, you know, I, my family literally has been in the military since before the revolution. And so I have had access to guns all my life. And so have my siblings, and so have most all of my relatives. And it really comes down to, do you understand that the, the weapon is a tool? And if you abuse the tool, crazy and terrible things can happen. And so that's, that, that was really the, the lesson learned as a child. And I might add that, that, I, that, was a, that um, you, you need to know how to use the weapon and whether it's what its capabilities are and limitations. This kind of goes down to that road of, of conversation you and I had before. So for the, you, the viewers, let me go back to Bosnia, if I, or excuse me, listeners. So I'm walking down a street one day and um, in Bosnia, just a tall little village, and a, like a four or five-year-old comes up to me, and he has what in his hand, and I can't tell what he's got in his hand. And he approaches me, and he gets within about two feet of me, maybe three, and he opens, his, opens up his hand, and he's got a grenade in his hand. And it's one of the one of the ones the the whole section of the world they used to build a lot of grenades, but I couldn't see the pin, so because it was on his palm. So I didn't know this is this is this my you know final hour? Is this kid about ready to blow himself up and me too? Well, he, there was nothing nothing of the kind. He was just simply trying to hand me the weapon or the or the this this grenade because he knew that that was something that we were trying to do is trying to get grenades and weapons. Uh, uh, out of the hands of uh, people, specifically lots of mines and, and grenades. Well, it, it goes back to this, that one of the problems that we had over there, and the same repeated itself in Iraq, is that you have to, children have to understand the capability and limitations of a weapon. And in this case, you know, he, he had no business picking up a grenade in the first place. And he went and showed me where he had a few other ones that he picked up. And I couldn't believe it. This young man was still alive. And yet, and that's what I would say that we need to make sure that young people understand this is what that weapon can do. And this is, is, is this is what its purpose is. And this is what you can and cannot do with it. And, you know, IE don't point the, don't, don't point the barrel at somebody, no matter whether you think it's loaded or unloaded, don't point the barrel at someone, but just things like that. I would say that that's value added that they, the kids need to understand that that's what that tool is and that what its purpose is. And they don't have to necessarily be afraid of it which leads into it's a semi-automatic rifle. It's a, it's a, it's a semi-automatic pistol. It's not a ghost gun. It's not a assault weapon. Those are just propaganda-laced comments that invoke an emotional response and get people um, fearful. And you don't need to be. Call it for what it is. It's not an assault weapon, whatever that definition is. I'd love to have somebody tell me what that is because I haven't heard it yet. Or, or, you know, just they need to understand what it is and what it's not. Exactly. No, that's, that is perfect, Richard. And that's exactly why I think we should have those classes in schools. Richard, thanks so much for being on today. I really appreciate all of the experience that you have and, and your willingness to bring it to the table as we talk about policy in Utah. And I know you've come up to the Hill and testified in committee and just really appreciate your engagement in the, the process and, and your attitudes about guns and, and your patriotism. So thank you so much for being here today.
Well, thank you for having me. Have a good day. You too. And we'll go to a break. Men, you're protecting and preserving your constitutional right to bear arms. It's Gun Radio Utah on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Here's your host, Clark Capozian. Hello, this is Carrie Ann Lizenby, but I am here actually for this last segment with your host, the illustrious Clark Capozian. Hi, Clark. How are you? Representative Lizenby, thank you so much for filling in. You do a fantastic job, as always. Oh, thank you, And you're you, doing Clark. it by yourself today. That's I amazing. know. It's lonely without you, but I do appreciate when you do it, and you do such a great job. Really appreciate all you do for Utah. Clark, hey, I think you have a word from a sponsor. Do you want to do that now? Oh, my gosh. Our fantastic sponsor, the Gunsmith at Sportsman's Warehouse. Hey, if, if your gun's broken, if it's not working right, if it's, if it's scratched or your stock is cracked or the finish is worn off, don't worry. The gunsmith at Sportsman's Warehouse is your one-stop shop for all the things firing. Give them a call, 801-304-8070, 801-304-8070. Or you can take it to any of the, and a lot of people think I'm going to say 110. There's actually 122 Sportsman's Warehouse locations across the nation. And just tell them, take it into the Sportsman's Warehouse, tell them to get that to the gunsmith. Now, you can drop by their Salt Lake location where they actually do the work, 1630 South, 5070 West in Salt Lake City. Um, or just you can go online. And I actually, I think they even have a price list now, gunsmith.sportsmans.com. So www, you know, obviously, gunsmith.sportsmans.com. They work on pistols, revolvers, shotguns, rifles, old guns, new guns, everything. So, phew, we got that in. Awesome. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I appreciate that. They, I love Sportsman's Warehouse. They've been great. Uh, so, hey, Clark, just in the last little bit, I wanted to kind of get your feel for how we can incentivize some of these gun manufacturers and gun companies that are operating in some of the more liberal states in the country to move to Utah. You know, we've seen um, some... Remington Arms, Car Arms, American Tactical expanding or moving, uh, and then some of the other companies, Mossberg, Ruger, um, Colt, Stag, and PTR also moving or looking at moving or expanding into other states. So do you want to talk about how you think it would we could incentivize those companies to come to Utah? Well, I think you need to get with GoEd, uh, the Governor's office, office of Economic Development, and uh, become a special envoy and invite some of those folks out there uh, from Massachusetts, from California, from, you know, th- these these other places that uh, and 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 start telling what a wonderful place Utah is. And we have a fantastic educated workforce. We have a Second Amendment minded workforce as well. Uh, and lots of land, um, certainly cheaper than they're probably paying in, you know, some of these eastern states as well, or California. Uh, so I, uh, I nominate you, uh, Representative <laughs> Lizenby, to help on that. I love that. <laughs> invi- I... Let's invite them out. Let's invite them out. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think there's some legislation that we've also been looking at, and maybe we could pass next year to, to help forward that agenda. And I think it, it would be a, a well... Uh, a great use of our time to pass legislation like that. So Clark, well, well, yeah, we're doing it for the movie. We've got, we've got stuff for the movie industry to do that. So let's, uh, we're we're trying to steal them away from New Mexico. So let's, uh, let's, uh, let's steal some of the gun manufacturers away. I love it. 
It would be a great incentive. And you're right about our workforce. And wouldn't that be great if we could even get some of these companies to move to a more rural part of Utah and really invigorate the economy there? Yeah. So. yeah. You went to county. We've got some land for them out here. <laughs> There's some land out there. That's true. Yeah. I'm, I'm super tempted to join you out there. So, hey, Clark, I also wanted to touch base. We talked about it on the last segment, but the school-based curriculum uh, and class time that we've talked about regarding gun safety classes and just educating young people about guns. Do you want to take just a few seconds and talk about that? You know, there, there's a gun in, even in Salt Lake County, there's a gun in every other home. And um, you know, talk to your legislators for next session to start training, uh, to start getting our kids um, some basic safety aspects of, uh, of firearm training in the schools. I love that. Let's get it done. Thanks, Clark, for all you do for Utah. Thank you, Representative. All Bye-bye. right. This is Carrie Ann Lisenby signing off for Gun Radio Utah. We'll... Talk to you soon. Call me anytime. 801-589-2934. Jewelry. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.